Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you today. And uh, we're going to finish up our... um, our third segment now in the book of Acts, and I hope you enjoy the book of Acts. I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, we're going to pause, and then starting next week, uh, we will uh, start a new series called um, The Final Act. I think I shared last week about this. Well, we're going to start next Sunday, and we're going to take every day of the last week of Jesus' life. Each Sunday is going to be one of the days. We'll start with Sunday, the, the triumphal entry. And the next week will be the temple cleansing, which is Monday. Then you're going to go Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll culminate on Easter Sunday with the resurrection uh, message. And so that's where we're going to go next. And I have some things that I'll challenge all of us on to do during this next series. It'll be really, really good. And we're hoping for some interesting, good biblical responses and results to that. Now today, um, before we begin, let me finish up this one verse, put it up there. I try to give you guys a verse, probably five, six weeks worth of one verse to memorize it if you'd like. But to really learn it next week, we'll start a new verse. And here's our verse that we finish up today. And I'd like you all to read it with me. And I'm going to count to three. And please read it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. But defy Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Okay, last time we're going to break it down. Now we're going to put the whole thing together. So this whole thing begins with sanctify Jesus in your heart. In other words, make him number one, so that whenever you're in a dialogue about your faith, that no one's going to talk you out of it. It's settled. And in, in, in this verse, you'll find more things why it's settled. So you're not going to go with what somebody feels or thinks because you're, you're, it's sanctified in your heart. Then it says to be ready. So the word ready means to be prepared. We're always preparing. But what are we preparing for? To make a defense. Now, the word defense is the Greek word apologia. We get our word apologetics. And it means to defend your faith. It's the idea of answering questions, giving responses, dialoguing why you believe what you believe. So you make this defense to everyone who asks you. People are going to ask you questions once you bring up you're a Christian and once you start dialoguing these things. They're going to ask you questions, friends. You cannot be afraid of the questions because once they ask you, then you've got to give an account. Now, the word account, that Greek word is the idea of you get your mental thoughts together, sort them out so you can verbalize them. That's how you're making your defense. You're always preparing. You're always getting your thoughts ready And how would I answer this question? How would I answer that question? So you're answering that. And then within the whole thing, you dialogue with these people with gentleness and reverence. You don't get into screaming matches. You don't get obnoxious. You stay calm. Use love. And you're very gentle about your answers. But you're very firm in your answers. Amen to that one? So that's how you do it. Next week, we'll give you a brand new verse. Now today... Uh, I, the, the topic in Acts 20, and um, I, I tell you, I could have gone one, one of two ways. There's, there's the guy, anybody ever heard of Eutychus? You ever heard of Eutychus in the Bible? Raise your hand if you heard of Eutychus. I didn't know how many people heard of Eutychus. Okay, 
Not very many, so we need more Bible learning. It's okay, it's okay. Eutychus, uh, there's this guy, he actually dies in church, and his name is Eutychus. I could have gone with that story. That would have been interesting, right? But I thought, I'm gonna go this different direction out of Acts 20. And the topic today is what to look for in a good shepherd, in a good pastor. So let me, let me intro it this way. Um, I have noticed now in the day and age we live that people like, how many look at Yelp for recommendations, right? Is this a good place? Is that a good place? But have you noticed that on, I've noticed it on Facebook, that people that have moved to this Corona Norco area will ask for recommendations on a good plumber, on a good electrician, on a good, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Have you ever noticed that before? Now, I've noticed that they never ask for a bad plumber. Has anyone noticed that before? They don't ask for bad plumbers or bad, could you give me a bad electrician? I'd like one of those. What's a bad pilot? Give me a recommendation. I'm gonna use that guy. No, they ask for a good one, okay? So I'm gonna ask for a recommendation from you this morning because I have looked and I'm not sure and I need somebody who's been there because I'm not the type, except if Jesus showed up and told me to take a step that way, I would do it. But I need your recommendation about, let me give you that whole story here. About two years ago, uh, I'm a guy that goes every year to go see my UCLA Bruin basketball team play in the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas. I go every, every year, amen. God, there's two of us. Three of us, okay, God. Do I hear four? No, I'm just joking. So two years ago, when myself and, I don't know if some of you may know Reggie Franz, he ministers in the Hebrew room. Uh, he said, let's go and eat at this Cajun place. It's in the Orleans. How many know the Orleans in Vegas? Raise your hand. How do you know? Huh? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so we go to the Orleans. He goes, I want you at this Cajun place. Okay, all right. And uh, I don't think I've ever eaten at a Cajun place. Look, I'm Mexican. Cajun, what's that? You know? so, um, so we go there and I order this Cajun gumbo. Has anyone ever had Cajun gumbo? Please, somebody raise your hand and tell me you've had Cajun gumbo. Now, I was blown away. I thought, where has this been all of my 45 years of life? It was, it was so good. It was incredible. I thought, a Mexican, why haven't Mexicans come up with a Mexican gumbo? What's going on here, you know? It's so good. So flash forward a little bit to 13 months ago, because this happened two years ago. Now, 13 months ago, I did a wedding in Vegas. I did it for your daughter over there, and it was an overnighter, and my wife and I drove to Vegas. The wedding was really cool. It was on a baseball field out at night with the lights on. It was so cool. I'd never done one on a baseball field. And so I told Olivia, we've got to leave in time because I want to take you to this Cajun place in the Orleans. We want to get, I want to take you some of this Cajun gumbo before three o'clock because the special price ends at three o'clock. <laughs> How many amen that one right there, huh? Yeah, yeah, don't act like you wouldn't do that. And so, um, and so, <laughs> so we got there like at 10 to three or something like that. We made it, we made it. We got the gumbo for a certain price and it was outstanding. I can't wait. So next week, 
on Thursday, not this week, next week when I'm there to watch the game, look for me on Thursday night. I'll be way up in the rafters up there in the, in the game, but I'll be at that gumbo place at some point, my friends, eating that Cajun gumbo. Now, here's my question. Have you personally in this area, anyone, I need a recommendation. Is there a good, good a place where there's good Cajun gumbo in this area? Have you had any? You have. Who else? No one else. Where's it at? You raised your hand, so where's it? Don't look at him next to you. Where? where? Uh, Kick and Crab. Kick and Crab on Main Street. Oh, it's right here. Okay. It's, it's Main Street, right? Because right here and Main Street are like two different words. Don't you believe it? It's right here. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. So. Okay, Kick and Crab. I'm going to take your word for it, Okay. Sit in that seat all the time so I know when to come back and say. Okay, I want you. Okay, so why is it good there? And you've had it, right? Um, I've had everything there. It's good. Everything there. She's had everything there. <laughs> everything. Wow. I've never had everything anywhere. Okay. okay, but the Cajun gumbo's good? Tell me one reason why it's good. You didn't know you're going to get grilled, right? The sauce is great. The sauce is great. So the ingredient of the sauce is great. That's what makes it really good, in your opinion, right? Okay, so now we know we have an ingredient. The sauce is great, makes it really good. Today, we're going to look in the book of Acts. And thank you for that, because you helped me. First service, no recommendations. I almost walked out on them. I just couldn't believe it. So today, we're going to look at good ingredients, that make a good pastor. We're going to look at a good chef. What makes for a good pastor? Would you like to know? No, more, God, more of you got to say. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, yeah, I'd rather hear about the gumbo, but... Okay, we're going to, in Acts 20, and I hope you start bringing your Bible, because you got to learn these things. you got to grow in your word of God. That's one of my hopes in my life. Now, we're going to look at a good shepherd, and what makes for that? I have been a Christian 43 years. I lived through the scandals of the late 80s of the televangelists. I have seen many a great, not many, I've seen a few really prominent ministers fall in the last so many years, and this happens periodically. Look, pastors, like any other profession, like your profession, there are some that make some bad decisions, just like there are some in your profession that make bad decisions. Amen? Amen. It's all over the place. It pains my heart when I hear of a pastor make a bad decision because they just thrown away their whole life. They can make it back, but it takes years to be reinstated. Um, I also, it also grieves me because it just brings the name of Jesus down, right? People can say, well, see, there's one of your guys or there's this minister there, and they can do that, and they can do that once that happens because they're not gonna look at the 99 and 9 tenths ministers all over the world that are doing good and doing right. They're going to find the one. And, and just for what it's worth, you know, I really hate when they make any kind of these TV movies about pastors that have fallen. They really make them look like just imbeciles, don't they? They just, I mean, come on. I mean, this is not what it's really like. But they're going to do that because anytime they can bring Christianity out, they're just going to do it. They're just going to do it. Why do you think that when they came out with these, with these scientific surveys that prayer does help people who are sick why didn't that make all the newspaper headlines i guarantee you if they said atheism helps sick people get better that would have made all the headlines right 
But no, Christianity, uh-uh. They're not going to let that make any headlines because they're always going to try to bring down Christianity because there's a real devil, real demons, real spiritual battle, and that's just the way it works. Whether you agree with that or not, it's a reality, okay? So we're going to go to Acts 20. If you turn there, what we're going to do today is I'm going to give you the story, the buildup, and then we're going to see where Paul is teaching elders, pastors, and then he's going to lay out his life. And from his life, I'm going to pull three things and I'm going to give you certain behind-the-scenes pastoral thinkings and feelings and examples so you understand more. But he's going to lay out for you, what does a good pastor look like? We could have done about six, seven points, but I only did three for your sake, okay? Here we go, verse 7, Acts 20. On the first day of the week, what day is the first day of the week for them? It's Sunday. When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them intending to leave the next day and he prolonged his message until midnight now I have no problem with that length of a message right there no everybody's okay with that right there yeah yeah Um, okay so they meet on Sunday the early church meets on Sunday why do we meet on Sunday because the early church did why do they meet on Sunday because what day did Jesus rise from the dead Sunday that's why we meet on Sundays there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. And there was a young man named Eutychus. Say Eutychus. It's a cool name, huh? Sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. A guy dies in church. Paul preaches a long time. The guy falls asleep and he falls dead right there in church. Now, you got to understand what's going on. Let me give you the feel of it so you know why this happened. Um, In that day, they worked on Sundays. Remember that, okay? So they worked and they get off whenever they got off. And then in the evening time, they have no electricity. So after dark, when it gets dark, you're going to go to sleep. Paul's preached now till what time? Midnight, way past the bedtime. They've been working all day. Plus, he's up there on the third floor. Everybody's got their little lamps burning. Heat rises, yes or no? Yes. So it's rising up. It's past his bedtime. Paul's preaching a long time. And all of a sudden, this young man just starts to go down because he's just tired. And it's hot. And he goes down and he falls from the third floor. Boom. And he dies. And that's why that probably happened right there. Someone once asked me, well, how do you know he really died? Because Paul's going to bring him back from the dead, right? So, um, well, it's very easy. Question, who is the writer of of, of Acts? Luke. What is Luke by profession? He's a doctor. Does he know a dead body or not? Yes, he does. And so that's logical right there. We know that. Now, verse 10. But Paul ran down and fell upon him and after embracing him he said do not be troubled for his life is in him (laughs) he just goes down he embraces him he's going to bring the guy back to life and when he does nobody gets all excited it's just like oh okay that's just what we do okay now real quick because I'm going to bring this back at the very end of the message but you got I want to plant it in your head now Um, I don't know if Dr. Luke the writer mapped this out this way or not I'll ask him when we get to heaven But in Acts 19, previous chapter, 
he shares where these idol worshipers in Ephesus that this idol Diana slash Artemis they say it fell down from heaven and and this big idol that's what they that was the rumor and they built a temple around it in Ephesus it's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world there's no more idol there anymore the temple's torn down everything but there's remnants but there's that's about it so we see in 19 where this false idol falls from heaven in chapter 20 we see a young man fall from the third floor and die and brought back to life there's going to be one more thing we're going to see fall and keep that thought in your mind and we'll get to it at the very end okay uh, did you catch that yes or no okay good keep it in your mind now verse um, 11 when he had gone back up and had broken bread and eaten he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left now once he goes and brings that kid back from that young man back from the dead at midnight he goes back up and starts doing what again he starts preaching again till what time till daylight so he preaches all night long and now if I'm a preacher I'm thinking if one guy already died I'm going to preach I'm going to continue preaching all night long what if more people start dying right so it would kind of get me a little bit like I'm, I got to be careful with these people they're kind of tired now verse um, 12 they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted so good but we going ahead to the to the ship set sail for Asos intending from there to take Paul on board for so he arranged it intending himself to go by land when he met us at Asos, he took with him on board, took him on board, and came to uh, Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite, I want to say it's pronounced uh, Chios, but could be wrong on that. And the next day, we crossed over to Samos, and, they, and the day following, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail from Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, Pente, 55. It's 50 days after the resurrection. It's sometime in June every year. So he wants to get to Jerusalem sometime in June to get there for Pentecost, the festival. Verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. Now here's where it starts to pick up with what we're going to talk about today. He went to, sent to Ephesus, called to him, the elders of the church now he calls all the pastors from Ephesus it's 36 miles from Ephesus to where he's at they walk the 36 miles he's going to have a pastoral seminar he's going to teach them because he knows this is probably the last time he's going to see them he knows his life is in danger he knows something's waiting for him back in Jerusalem verse 18 and when they had come to him he said to them you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you. Stop. That's a big statement. He's saying, you guys know, you've watched me, you've seen me, you know how I was with you. That's a credibility statement, is it not? That's a character statement. You know what I'm about. You've watched how I live. You've watched how I conduct my faith. You, you've seen it. What I say is what I do. And what I do is what I say. They're, they coincide. He said, the whole time. Now, he's got this seminar now he's going to have with these guys. And from here, we're going to listen to what Paul says about himself that describes what a good shepherd. What, what do you look for in a good pastor? Okay? You ready? I got three things. There's way more, but I'm going to give you three. The first thing is this. 
A good pastor, in your notes, demonstrates moral courage. Now, let's look at verse 19, 20, and then 27. We'll go back and read the others in a second. It says, serving the Lord, he's talking about himself, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. That's an understatement right there. Which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Now, profitable, Greek word, symphio, it means symphony, we get it. It means all of it. You bring it all together. <clears throat> and teaching you publicly from house to house. Verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose, say whole purpose, whole purpose of God. Now, what do we draw from that, those statements of Paul? Listen closely. This is a good pastor. He taught everything in the Bible. He didn't shrink back from the very hard topics. He taught it all. He taught the baptism of the Spirit. He taught the gifts of the Spirit. He taught against sin. He taught it all. He taught grace. He mentions it in this text. He said he teaches repentance and repentance towards God, which is not just, oh, oh, sorry, God. That's not what repentance is. Repentance towards God is you fully repent. You tell God, I'm using all the power you've got. I'm, well, I'm going all the way. I'm go we're going to beat this thing in your power. He taught it all. And most people don't like repentance messages. They're not the fun ones because they challenge us to change and fix our lives and they challenge us to take responsibility for ourselves. Amen? We are living in a culture that now likes to blame everybody else but never fix ourselves. We look at the speck in everybody else's eye but we don't look at the log in our own eye. That's all over social media. Any amens on that? That's why don't listen to these people. You'll, they'll ruin you. Now, you want a good pastor? You want to find a good pastor? Let me, let me, show you, let me share with you this. I'm going to take you into the life of a pastor. You want to know about the life of a pastor? You guys want to know? Yes. Okay. The first thing is they're real cool. No, I'm just <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but they really are. No, um, <laughs> thank you every, every pastor wants to be liked every one of them because you know why because we're like you who doesn't want to be liked we can kid ourselves I don't care if he likes me that's a lie we all want to be liked but with that said every pastor knows even though he wants to be liked or she wants to be liked that you got to preach the hard messages you know you got to preach against sin. You're going to preach against the practice of homosexuality. You're going to preach against transgenderism. You're going to preach against fornication and adultery. You're going to preach all those things. You're not going to back off from the scriptures at all. It doesn't matter what you feel or what you think because you're going to go with what God says. Now, we know that when we do that, somebody's not going to like it and somebody's probably going to say, I'm out of here. I, I'm not, I don't need to listen to this. I, I, I disagree with all that. 
And typically your stance is based on what you feel or think or some cliche that's said so many times out there. You have no scientific, you have no moral basis for what you're stating. I do. I do. I'll preach against abortion because I can take you scientifically and I can take you biblically. It's not what I feel or think, it's what it says. And I'm gonna stand up for these things and a good pastor is gonna do that. And we wanna be liked. But you know what? There's two types of fear in this world, according to the Bible. There's the fear of God, which is an awe and respect of God. And then there's a fear of man, which brings a what? A snare. You want to have the fear of God because you're gonna obey God no matter what the culture says. No matter what they think feels right, you're gonna obey God. Because if you obey, if you have fear of man, you're gonna be snared up in all the false uh, cliches of this world. You're gonna get caught up in it. Now, God has one. Praise the Lord. So, and by the way, I, I do preach the hard things. I'm not backing up, but I, I'm not a gutsy guy. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in me. And never forget that. It's not me. I, I don't have that ability. It's the empowering of the baptism of the Spirit of God. It gives you the boldness to stand firm. And there's other things too. God, God warned us about this. Paul writes to Timothy, and here's what he warns about church people, some church people. He says this. Now, read it with me. Let's read it very slowly, but I want you to see it. This is Paul. Paul is writing this to a young minister by the name of Timothy. One, two, three. Read. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. In other words, they're going to have itchy ears for preachers and teachers. They will just tell them what they want to hear. That's, and we're there right now, are we not? Yeah, we're there in America right now. This has happened throughout history of the church, but we're there right now. There's people that just want, I, I want to hear what I want to hear, and that's it. Now, <clears throat> but you've got to preach the hard things. John the Baptist, he's thrown in jail because he's preaching hard stuff, right? He told Herod, you stole your brother's wife. You're living in adultery. That didn't win him any brownie points, correct? That cost him his life. They chopped off his head over that one. But he had the guts to do it because he knew that was sin. And you know what? We are the moral voice of this entire planet. Amen to that one? And so you want a shepherd that stands up and is not afraid to say things and is not afraid of you or you or you or you and what you think if it goes against God's word. That's the kind of shepherd you want. Now, every, I'll pick on my own state. I could pick on any state I wanted to. But in my state... We pastors, we all know, we get these little readouts and different things through different things where they try to pass every so often. There's a secret AB bill. They try to pass these, what's, let me call them secret laws. You find secret laws in Daniel Old Testament book. They pass the secret law, no prayer. They pass it secretly. Daniel's gonna go, you know, he's gonna go pray. But they pass it to get him in trouble. There's secret laws and you find that biblically. But in California, every so often they try to pass one. And these, if passed, and that's why I'll, every so often you hear me bring one up and say, you better call, call the state, man. Tell them you don't want that one. Because they want to shut up pastors. They want us to stop preaching against certain lifestyles, and they say, we have hate speech now. Which, how ridiculous is that, huh? It doesn't make any sense, but in their blinded, remember, they're blinded, so they don't know. So you could say, how can they not see? They're blinded, they can't see. I mean, before as a Christian, I wouldn't have seen it. 
And so you got to remember that as you try to reach people. Don't get mad at people. Just know that, that that's what's going on right there. Now, <clears throat> so they try to pass these things. So let me, let me challenge you on something. I, I'm older now. I, I'm, I, I've lived my whole life. Next month, it'll be 31 years that I started this church. 31 years. So my days and years of senior pastor are not long anymore. But there's a younger generation of ministers coming up, and you see them here too. The world I grew up in is not as tough as the world they're going to have to face. It's not. Mine's like a walk in the park compared to what they're going to face. Pray for the young ministers. Pray for them. Because they're going to face an onslaught of things coming at them. Now, when it comes to speaking the truth, as a pastor let me ask you a question have you ever heard me just pre- start saying well I believe this and I believe that and I believe I believe you ever heard me do stuff like that please say no okay good I don't do that because an unbeliever could say well I believe this and I believe that and I believe this no because it doesn't matter what I believe it matters what, what evidence and what I have in the scripture. So I don't say I believe. Whenever I state a statement of belief, I always back it up with what the word of God says. Amen? I always give a foundation because it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter because to an unbeliever, it's just, oh, that's just what you feel. No, it's not what I feel. It's what it says. I have a foundation for truth of what I believe. So I never go down those roads at all. Now, but you've got to have a pastor who's not afraid to stand up and preach the hard, hard topics against sin in our culture, and they are trying more and more to shut us up. That's what they're trying. They're making you feel really weird to speak up against things. Am I right? And you've got to be careful with that. You cannot back off these things. Now, for some of you who have heard of this name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, anybody? Okay, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was this pastor in Germany as, as Hitler and the Nazis were rising up before World War II. In that time period, if you go back, and you can get a short biography, maybe 150 pages on his life, but he rose up and he, 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 he stood against the Third Reich. But a high percentage of the pastors, thus churches, in pre-World War II Germany they gave in and they bent and they said no it'll be okay this and that and Hitler basically in a sense took over those churches he stood up and said no this is wrong it cost him put him in prison and they ended up taking his life but you don't hear about those other ministers you only hear about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and when I get into heaven I want to meet that guy I want to meet a guy that had the guts that had the boldness to stand up and it cost him a lot but that was a good pastor right there. Amen? You want a pastor like that. Now, second thing is point two, and that is a good pastor has changed values. Now, we're going to read verses 22, 23, and 24, and we're going to find out the two whys that a good pastor has the courage to speak the truth. There's reasonings behind it. Now, look at 22 to 24. It says this, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. He knows, I'm, look, I'm heading to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen. 
except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me. He's got an inner witness inside him. In every city, and thus an outer other people are telling him too. In every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Something bad is waiting for me in Jerusalem. Verse 24. But I do not consider my life as of any account as dear to myself. So I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel, of the grace of God. Now we're going to look at two whys. Why does a good pastor have the boldness, the guts, and the courage to speak, to speak the hard truths of God's word? Two points. Hope you're taking notes. It's the only way you're going to remember things here. The first why. Number one, Paul surrendered his entire life to God's will. He surrendered his whole life. In other words, he had a really, really legitimate born-again experience on that road to Damascus right there. He looked at obeying God as primary over his personal comfort and what he liked in life. That's why he said in verse 24, he says in there, that I may finish my course. Look, he wants to finish his course. If he's on a course, that means he started the course and he's walking on the course to finish the course. Amen? So he has a genuine conversion to Jesus Christ. So here he comes and he says, I really, really have surrendered my whole life. This is what matters. Doesn't matter what I feel. Doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God has called me to do. And I'm going to do what God tells me to do. It doesn't matter what anybody else tells me. That's the first reason why he can have moral courage. He's left it all behind and he follows Jesus. Point, the second why is this. Paul saw the value of a soul. That's a big one right there, guys. Look at verse 25 and 26. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. He knows this is the last time I'll ever see you. He knows they're going to kill me. I, got, I know it. I sense it. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. I wish I could say that. I don't know how anybody can say that. But he's telling you, everywhere I've gone, I have shared Jesus. If, you, if you've really listened and been with us through Acts, every town he comes to, what's the first place he looks for? The synagogue. And he goes there, and he goes up and starts sharing about Jesus Christ. He doesn't back off. And in one place where there was no synagogue, because there's not 10 Jewish men in the city to form a synagogue, he goes to the riverside, and he finds women there, and he starts to share with them. And everywhere he goes, he shares. When he says, I'm innocent of all the blood of everybody he shared, this is a reference, in a sense, to Ezekiel chapter 33 in the Old Testament, where the watchman sees the enemy coming, and he warns everyone. He blows the trumpet. That's what he's saying right here. He says, I value every soul. He values every soul. Now think, 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 think. Before he came to Christ, did he value every person? He was a murderer. He killed Christians. He's stomping out Christians. He didn't value these people. And then he has that experience and he sees the resurrected Jesus and now he values every soul. Isn't that wild? That's, that's great. So here it is. This is so contrary to the culture but so biblically true. When you value a person, when you truly love them, don't you tell them the truth? Yes or no? 
That's what you do, right? It doesn't matter if it, if it hurts them a bit. You know it's the truth. And he values every person. So he's going to share the truth. Listen, listen, listen. When you value a soul, you're going to speak the truth. Now, there's some things that go with this. And I've said this before in times past. I'm going to say this again for those of you that get bullied by others who just come up and try to control you and correct you all the time. The Bible says that I'm to speak the truth, right? But I'm to speak the truth in what? In love. Good. You remember that verse, huh? Okay. The truth is the truth. Your lifestyle is wrong. But I'm going to speak that in love. Love is the relational part. See, you don't just walk up to people and start telling the truth. You have no love, you have no relationship with them. You've got to build friendship. And once you build friendship, that gives you the open door to the truth to get in. Any amens? Now, I will tell you there are times divine appointments that just happen that you've never had time to build the friendship, but it happens, comes out, and you're, you're called to speak the truth in the moment and the best love you can. But let me get back to helping some of you in this room. Some of you get bullied and badgered by people coming and telling you stuff, and they just only show up to tell you stuff, and that's all they do. Let me tell you what I do. It took me a long time to get this because, you know, you want to be liked as a pastor. When I finally really understood that you speak the truth in love, and trust me, over the years, plenty of people want to correct me and how to run the church. Trust me. And then walk away with no responsibility here whatsoever. But how I view this now, according to the scriptures, is if somebody is going to speak truth in my life, they better have that love part and build friendship with me. Have you ever come and just hung out with me? Have we ever gone out to coffee? Are you serving here to help us out at all? Have you become my friend at all? Because if you haven't, you may say this callous. No, I, I think it's right. They come and just show up to try to tell me what to do. To me, it's just like wah, 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 wah. <laughs> That's all it is. I'm saying this for your sake because you have people like that in your life that have no relationship with you. They don't hang out with you and they just show up once every so often and they want to tell you what you need to change. It's just wah, 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 wah. Because they have no friendship with you whatsoever. When you share this gospel, you develop friendship. And you develop friendship with maybe people that are so opposite in belief system as you and maybe in sin. But you develop the friendship so that you eventually can speak into their life. See, they have to know that you care about them. They have to know that you love them. Otherwise, you're just another person come along and tell them, you're in sin, you're in sin, you're in sin. And that doesn't move anyone. Does that make sense at all? No, really, does it make sense? Okay, you, you gotta think of it like that. Paul, he values every soul. And that's why later on he'll write, speaking the truth in love. That's how it operates, that's how you work it. Now, let's see. Oh my gosh, I gotta move on. Number three, and number three is this. A good pastor guards the flock. He guards the flock. Look at 28 through 30. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made 
you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Say, with his own blood. Okay, good. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Say, come in among you. Good. Not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise. Say, from among your own selves. Good men will arise. Speaking perverse things means to distort okay to draw away disciples after them now watch this is something I watch for a, a good a good pastor is going to watch for this stuff there's two types of dangers that I always watch for there's the outside it said in verse 29 they come in these are the savage wolves. He's not talking about real wolves. He's about wolves in sheep's clothes. They come in from the outside in. And as they come in, what they do is they bring uh, their false doctrine, their false teaching. Now, you know at your job, you know how to do your job. Am I correct? And when somebody comes in and they're doing the job incorrectly, you pick up on it how fast? Very fast, huh? Same as my job. My job, one of the things is I listen for teaching. Is it false? Is it true? And I'm very sensitive to that because that's my job, okay? That's what I'm called to do. Just like at your job, you're called to pick up on because you know at some of your jobs, especially if they do something wrong, it can cost a company a lot. It can, you could suffer a lawsuit. All kinds of things happen, amen? So you're really aware of those things. So I'm aware of this. I'm watching for false teaching coming in. They come out from the outside, they come in. But then he says there's another danger that a good pastor watches out for, and that's inside. No, in verse 30 it says, from among your own selves, people will arise. And they try to draw people away to them and take them away from the church. Remember the word perverse means to distort the truth. Now, <clears throat> I wasn't going to, I had this as optional in my notes. And, I'm gonna, and I shared it in first service, so I'm, I'm going to share it with you. You, know, you guys want to hear this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is one of multiple times in my life as a pastor these things have happened. Because these stuff that I explained to you, I've seen this many times. Every pastor has. It's over 10 years ago probably more, more over 13 years ago, something like that. There was a group of people, they left the church, I don't know, about eight or 10 people together. Okay, you left the church. But I knew there was stuff going on, and I knew that, but I, okay, you leave, you leave. And they started their own meeting, okay. And then about seven or eight years later, I think it was 2015, somewhere in 2016. Somebody who had left with them went to their meetings, then finally realized this is ridiculous, and then they came back here. And years later, they told me this, this person who came back. They said, they said, Jim, one of their meetings, one person brought out a piece of paper, and it listed everything that they didn't like of what you did. How they disagree. Here's all the things we disagree with Jim on. I thought, is that the goal of Christianity? Is this the goal of coming together? I almost wish I'd never heard that. 
Because you think about that. That they spend a whole meeting they had just to talk about what they didn't like, my decisions and stuff like that. But what happens is they, they took people and they, they say distorted things. They distorted my life. And they took them away. I've watched this happen so many times. Listen, you always want to be careful because some people come in are here for months or maybe some years and they're eventually going to leave and try to take you with them. They'll leave and they'll call you up to recruit you. Are you following them or the Holy Spirit? That's your big question. You got to grow up now. You got to grow up. Now, let me finish like this. Um, why? Why am I and other Pat? Why are we to guard the flock? What's the whole point? Huh? The whole point is in verse um, verse twenty-eight. It says that God purchased the church with his own what? His own blood. Ah. What is something worth? Whatever someone's willing to pay for it, right? He purchased you and me, salvation for all, with his own blood. He was willing to give his entire life, and he did for our salvation. So therefore, what are you worth? You're worth an astronomical amount. Because he purchased our salvation through his own blood. Now, I want you to think. Here's my last thought. I want you, I'm going to leave you on this thought. Then you've got to go home and turn on your own heater, okay? <laughs> 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this. There we go knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ now think of the imagery remember way back in the beginning I shared those things and I'm going to bring it back right now. I don't know if Luke meant it on purpose to put it together. In Acts 19, he talks about this idol that fell from heaven. Remember? In Acts 20, he talks about a young boy that falls from the third floor. And then in Acts 20 again, he talks about God purchased a church with his own blood. How did blood of God get on a cross in Jerusalem a couple thousand years ago? Because God came down. He's the God-man who fell from heaven. You see the contrast? The God-man came down. And he came down and shed his blood for you and for me. And he purchased you. And you put your faith in him. And because that's what it costs for your salvation, for you, that should give you tremendous identity and security. And you know who you are. And you can stand up with boldness and speak the truth of God's word because you've sanctified the Lord Jesus in your heart. And you're this witness for the kingdom of God because you know who you are. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, 
as we conclude this third section of Acts. Whatever we glean from today, I pray we take it home with us. Jesus, we're so grateful that you are the God-man who fell to earth to die on that cross and shed your blood. You're not some rumored idol that fell from heaven, that supposedly fell from heaven. But you're the real God-man. You weren't a piece of rock in a statue. You're a, you're a real God-man walking the earth with real blood that was shed from you to forgive us of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, please, please, today's the day. If you backslid, come back to Christ. Come back to Christ. Today. If you'd like to put your faith in Jesus or dedicate your life quickly, I want you to open up your eyes and look up at me right now. I'm going to look back at you. When our eyes meet, you can close them, but do it right now. Now, those who looked up at me, I want you to repeat this prayer. Everyone's going to say it with you out loud, but you've got to believe it. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the God-man and his blood will forgive you of your sins and the Spirit of God is going to come and live in you. So let's repeat this prayer, everyone. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus for dying for me and shedding your blood on the cross. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Take over. Thank you for saving me. Today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Now let me pray. God, I pray for those who looked up that God today begins the new walk, the new course that they're going to walk in and one day finish when they go to meet you face to face. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because now you're serving God and you please Him. And we thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said, Amen, amen and Amen. Stand up with me, everybody, would you? You guys ready to repeat after me? Yes. Here we go with gusto. Lord, keep me outward focused. And fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for. And make me into a generous person like you. Hey, God bless you guys. We'll see you when we see you. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.